Hello everyone, it's really wonderful to be with you. I'm glad for the chance to share with you all again and I continue to look forward to the day when we can do this in person again. We're going to continue today in our series in 1 Peter, which we've appropriately named Faith for Unusual Times. And it's this very unusualness that I want to remind us of today as we begin. Peter wrote this letter to Christians who had been scattered across the provinces of Asia because of persecution that had broken out against the church. They had been exiled from their homes and were experiencing the upheaval that results from that kind of forced relocation. These were not believers who were living comfortably in their own city, following a religion that was endorsed by the states. They're, they're a community in crisis. They're, they're living on the edge. They're persecuted by commoner and states alike. <clears throat> and that's the reason we chose to preach through this book. The recipients of Peter's original letter knew trial. They knew trauma. They understood anxiety and heartache as daily realities. <clears throat> And so as we begin to read through chapter 4 of this letter today, I encourage you to remember that. Peter is speaking into our current situation as much as he spoke into the situation of the, that these early believers found themselves in. And so with that as my introduction, let's dive into 1 Peter, into a message that I've called God Behind It All. Because as we go through this passage, I believe Peter's intent is to show us how God is at work in the background using our experiences to make us more like Jesus. So let's jump into the first three verses. We're going to divide the chapter into four chunks. And, and the first chunk is verses one to three, where Peter makes this point. He said, I want you to recognize suffering refines who you are. Here we go. Let's read. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Suffering has the power to defeat our sinful inclinations. That is the spectacular truth that Peter opens these verses with. How often do we as Christians wrestle with our sinful nature? Where we, we know what we need to do, but we find it really hard to do that. We get tempted towards sin and we have to fight and fight against this force that keeps trying to pull us in to something we know is wrong. Or we look back on our actions and we realize in hindsight that we probably could have handled that situation so much better because we've been pulled into sin. Paul writes about this wrestle in Romans chapter 7. You can go and read it there. But Peter starts this chapter by saying something amazing. He says that suffering isn't something that just refines our character. It does that, but more. It's not just something that causes us to look to God and to be shaped by him. It does that, but more. But that when we endure suffering specifically for the sake of Christ, this particular kind of suffering, because of our faith in and our stand for Jesus, when we endure this kind of suffering, it actually puts to death the power of sin in our lives. He uses these words in the Greek that mean to have been released from sin, to no longer be stirred by the desire for sin. 
And he makes this so clear in verse 2. He says, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing after these evil desires. You're going to be anxious to do the will of God. Isn't that amazing? What an incredible blessing. Peter writes this to a community that's in crisis. He writes this to a church that is undergoing persecution because of their faith. Many of us at the moment are experiencing a level of suffering, a level of hardship and challenge that is unusual for us. Most of us are experiencing that in a way that's not directly connected with our faith. And so we're slightly different. But but I believe there are some encouragements we can draw from what Peter is writing here. The first is this. Peter gives us a promise that when we do get persecuted for what we believe, for the Jesus that we love and live for, And friends, this is something I believe is coming. It's happening in isolated moments in South Africa at the moment, but it is coming. He says persecution will serve a significant purpose in our lives. It will break down the power of sin. It will re-sculpt the priorities of our lives so that only that which is paramount will remain. When we suffer because of Jesus, it marks the work of God in us such that our own desire for self-preservation has been overcome by the desire to follow Jesus. And all the fluff, all the quagmire that we wade through day in and day out about trying to sort out how to follow God faithfully and how to make the right choices, we're going to be graced with the ability to truly and to purely desire to do the will of God untainted by sinful desires. That's an amazing promise. That's a bright silver lining to a pretty dark cloud. So that's the first promise that Peter makes. And I do find that encouraging, and I hope you do too. But the second place I find encouragement is is for our situation now. Because if I know that God is going to work specifically when his people are persecuted, where circumstances are directly opposed to his people, I know that God is working even now in the midst of what we're enduring at the moment. I know that he's working in us in the hardship that we're experiencing. And so I find myself often praying, not just for God's grace to make it through this time, which I do and I need because it's hard, but rather that God would just would give me grace to see as well how he and where he is working in the midst of what we're going through. That to, to ask God to help me to see what he is doing in the midst of lockdown, in the midst of this challenge that we find ourselves in. God, what are you doing? I want to know that because I want to really learn what you want me to learn in this time. I want to genuinely be changed as you desire me to be changed through this time. So when we come out on the other side, it's not just business as usual, but I get to to have been shaped and to become more like Jesus, to be able to discern his will better and to follow him more faithfully because I've been aware of what he's been doing. I pray that you would be encouraged to do the same. God is at work in the midst of hardship. Second point that Peter makes comes in verses 4 to 5. And he starts by by talking about 
the cost that honoring God is going to have. And so he says to us, he says, of course, when you begin to be shaped by God in this way, when you begin to be purged from the desire to sin, he says, your former friends are surprised that you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do. And so they slander you because they don't understand. But remember, he says, that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why, in fact, the good news was preached to those who have now died, so that although they were destined to die like everyone does, they had the opportunity for salvation. They now get to live forever with God in spirit. Peter starts and he says, guys, I want you to know that honoring God is going to cost you. As God refines you through hardship, you're going to change, which is good. And as you begin to honor God more and more, it's going to actually cost you something. This is something that those of us who have been Christians for a while, can, can many of us can testify to this. As God began to work in us and began to change us and to shape us, the things that we had in common with our non-Christian friends ceased to be that important in our lives. And because they don't understand it, because they can't understand what has shaped you and changed you to make you different in this way, they began to mock us. And they will begin to mock you too. When God shapes you and moves you in a way that people don't understand, people will typically give you a hard time about it. And you might start to find yourself getting cut out of plans, being left out of social gatherings, Peter's encouragement to us is this. He says, guys, I don't want you to mourn this. I don't want you to bemoan this. This is actually a unique opportunity that you have in your life. Because at the moment when that begins to happen, you've still got relationship. You've still got the opportunity. They don't understand. And so you can explain and you can share with them what's going on. Remember in the previous chapter, if you read all of it, Peter writes and he says, I want you to be prepared in every season to give people a reason for the hope that you have. So that when stuff begins to change in your life and you begin to act differently, you can say to someone, hey, I'm not just weird. It's because I found God. It's because God has begun to work in me. He's begun to shift me. And actually, I'm different. And this doesn't hold any appeal for me anymore. He says, it's a beautiful thing. Don't squander it. But he also follows it up with, a, with an encouragement that comes from an internal perspective. And, and so he says, because remember, these Christians, they're being persecuted for their faith, right? And as a result of the persecution, they're becoming more like Jesus and sin is getting purged from their lives. And, so, and because they're becoming more Christ-like, they're losing friends. And it feels a little bit like, man, when it rains, it pours. I'm trying to follow Jesus and God is working in me. And I'm trying to be a better Christian as God is doing that. And I'm losing all the people that used to be significant in my life. And in the midst of that real hardship, Peter calls them to hope. And he calls them to have faith because his key point is that this life is only the prelude. This life is just the introduction. So he says, guys, don't lose hope. Don't be disheartened because you actually haven't lost anything of any eternal value. And then he says this. He says, remember that they will face the judgment of God. And this is a sobering conclusion because it's offered as an olive branch to disheartened Christians. It's offered to those who are struggling with the fact that they're losing people. And he says, look, just remember that if they reject you, they're going to... There awaits for them an eternal punishment for people that reject Christ. 
But then he finishes with verse 6 and it shows us and reminds us of the grace of the good news. It says, good news and the gospel was extended to some who have since died. And that was a grace that many of them received. And so this reminder of judgment is for us a, a call back to the cornerstone in Christ. It's a, it's a clarion call for compassion, a call for repentance and confession. And it's a critical reminder that we have the opportunity to invite others into the saving grace of Christ. And that in the midst of our struggle, even though we might be going through some hard stuff, that is what God would call us to do. In fact, the occasion of hardship creates a moment for us to bring others towards Jesus. I believe that's one of the things God wants to be teaching his church right now. We have a voice in the darkness. It's not just a voice for social change, but it is a voice for the gospel. We bring hope. We bring perspective. We bring life into a hurt and painting world. God did an amazing thing the other day in my life. We, um, about five weeks ago, I was prompted, uh, I believe, by the Spirit to, to send a message out into my, my hockey group, a group of guys I play hockey with, and... Um, and I just sent a message out and I said, guys, I know that lockdown is really tough. It's tough for a collection of reasons um, and, and it, can really, it can be really difficult. And I just want to say to you that if you need prayer for anything, please feel free to get a hold of me. If you want to chat about anything, feel free to get in touch. Share as much or as little as you like. And that was, just, that was just something God, I felt inspired by the Lord to do. And I just offered it up to God and, uh, as an act of obedience and to see what he would do. And so and one of the guys contacted me shortly afterwards and I had the opportunity to pray with him. And I trust that God's going to continue to work in that space. But about four weeks later, last week, Sunday, I got a message from one of my mates in the team. And he just said, and he's in, he's in a super high pressure job at the moment, uh, especially in light of the COVID situation. He's carrying an incredible amount of pressure and stress. And he said to me, Brad, I'm just really, I'm struggling. And I'm wrestling with a lot of stuff. And I'd love to chat to you. And what was interesting is that he said to me, like, there are psychiatrists I could talk to. There are life coaches I could talk to, but I want to talk to you. And we had a chance to chat and I got a chance to share with him and, and share with him the perspective that I carry and, and where I see Jesus fitting into this and God fitting into this and how it all makes sense for me and how that could bring some, some light into what he was wrestling with. And, and we came out of that space and he was really encouraged. And he said to me, can we do this again sometime? And it was, it was just a reminder to me of what Peter is saying here. That hardship gives us an opportunity to connect with the world around us. I want to encourage you. Where are the places that you can be connecting with people? Where are, the, where are the people you can be meeting in the midst of their hardships and you can be offering the light of the gospel and the good news about Jesus? It's Peter's second point. Our third chunk we're going to look at goes from verses 7 to 11. And, I, and it's really a call to live in light of the end. And so, so Peter writes and he says, The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who in, are in need, who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. 
Do you have the gift of helping others? Well, do it with all of the strength and the energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. Right, in this third section, Peter makes a collection of statements and he, he declares that the end of the world, in other words, the second coming of Christ, is coming soon. And so he gives three instructions that we ought to follow because of this. And before we dig into those three, I think I just need to make a quick comment because it can feel strange to gloss over a statement like the end of the world is coming soon, 2,000 years after the statement was made. It, it doesn't really feel like it's soon anymore. Right, so, so allow me to say two things very briefly by ex, way of explanation. This is not a sermon on eschatology. You can do that another time. Right? But Jesus himself, he said this. He said that he would come like a thief in the night. He would come when no one was expecting, he, when he was not expected. And so he called his disciples to be always expectant, to be always prepared like scouts. Right? He told the parable of the ten bridesmaids with the, uh, who had lamps with oil and and ten, five of them were prepared. Five of them had extra oil because they didn't know when the bridegroom was going to arrive. And they were welcomed in to the celebration. And five of them were not prepared. And so they were rejected. Jesus says, be expectant because you don't know when I'm going to come. My coming is going to be unexpected. Secondly, Peter himself in his next letter, he says that a thousand years are like a day to the Lord. Right? So from God's perspective, it's really just been two days since Peter wrote that. So I, I kind of call that soon. All right. All right. Enough, enough about why Peter was allowed to say that. Let's, let's go from there. Given that the end of the world is coming soon, here are Peter's three exhortations to us. Number one, maximize your practice of prayer, especially in light of the times. Be earnest and disciplined in your prayers, Peter says. When we chose to follow Jesus, we chose a life of submission to and of dependence on him. And when Jesus came to earth, he modeled for us this life of righteous obedience. And at the core of that life was a thing of, was, a, was the heart of prayerful dependence. It was a posture that proclaimed all that I am and all that I do comes forth from the Father. It's an intrinsic trust in and a dependence upon the work and the provision of the Father in and through the life of the Son. I want to say this. A Christian cannot achieve anything of lasting significance that does not originate in the Father. If it didn't start with God, it's not going to last. And so Peter calls us to pray. He says, be earnest, seek God with faith, seek him with fervor, seek him with eagerness and be disciplined. Seek him first, look to him first, look to him often, look to him always, come to him. That's prayerful dependence. It's relying on God. It's prayerfully looking to him. This is how my friends, friends of mine run their business like this. And they make a business decision. Okay, let's go away and we pray and we ask God, God, what do we need to do in this space? Then we come back together and we say, okay, guys, what did God say? Right, this is what we're going to do. We, we try and run our life group like this. Someone shares a struggle that they're having with in the week. 
So we stop and we pray and we say, God, will you recognize that you see this and you're our God and you know what's going on here. And so, Lord, we want to trust you to be at work in this thing. We want you to work out. We're going to choose to respond in faith. All right? It's been a good week. And, it's been a, and we're, just, we're just grateful. Then we stop and we praise God. We say, God, we know that all good things come from you. And so we want to give you honor. And we want to give you glory. And we want to lift you up because you have given this to us. Because who we are and all that we do should be connected to our Father. And we maintain that connection through prayer. Be earnest, diligent in your prayers. Living in light of the end, part two. Love and hospitality. Peter reminds us of the centrality of love. Most important of all, he says, continue to show deep love to one another. For love covers over a multitude of sins. Love is a defining characteristic of a Christian. God is love. And so we, in our love, reflect him. Peter's emphasis here is calling us to love. In calling us to love. is about how we treat other people. Because the result of love when directed towards others is that it deals with sin. Remember what Jesus said? He said, love God and love others. If you do that, you fulfill the whole law and the prophets. This call to to love one another is a calling to the mutual and reciprocal practice of compassion, honor, of empathy, of grace, and of forgiveness. Compassion, honor, empathy, grace, forgiveness. When a community models these traits to one another, I want to tell you that the power of sin is broken in that community. But when we withhold those ideas from one another, we allow sin to fester amongst us. And unity gets broken. And the image of Christ in the world and to the world becomes fractured. Peter says more than this, I want you to know that love is imminently grounded in reality. Love is not just a feeling. Love is not just an emotion. It is those things, but it is way more than that. And so he says, I want you to cheerfully share your home with those in need. And I think he does this because to do this is a real test of selflessness. Selflessness, especially in a Western culture, if I may say that. We, our home is our fortress in the West. But real love and community is demonstrated in the willingness to share your home with someone else. Whether that's in a meal for fellowship or because someone in your community needs a place to stay. Where are they going to go? Will, you, will your love be real enough to let them come to be with you? When we love each other like this, we get a community that transcends the distinctions that have been created by our world. Whether that's nationality or race or tribe or culture or class, it doesn't matter. Because our community beautifully reflects Jesus. Because it's full of love. And so our fractured world gets to see who Jesus is. Because godly love has dealt with the sin in us. Thirdly, living in light of the end, part three, Peter says, use what God has given to you. And this this little section from verse 10 kind of speaks into the topic of spiritual gifts. 
And this concept is both simple and it is practical and it is summed up in verse 10. There's a lot more that can be said, but Peter treats it very simply and practically. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. There it is, black and white. Or if you read it with me on the screen, blue and white. Right, this is a simple statement and corollary. Right, a statement and a following idea. God has given every Christian at least one spiritual gift. That is a fact. It has been established by God. No one was overlooked. Everyone, when they became a Christian, was made in the image of God, was remade in the image of God, and was given a spiritual gift. That's how God works. That's what he has said. These gifts have been given so that we can use them together in community, that they would be an evidence and outworking a display of the love that we have for one another. That's what Peter's getting at. Here's what that means. It means that God has put something inside you that molds and shapes who you are and how you function together with other people. It's, it's something that other people notice and appreciate about you because it's been designed by God to bring blessing into their lives. Peter says so clearly, he says God's got a great storehouse of these gifts. It's a wide and diverse range. His gift to you could be the attention that you have for detail. It could be the love that you have for worship. It could be your ability to lead others or the love and the care that you have for others. It could be your ability to foresee challenges in the future or your ability to see a system and to optimize it. It could be your insight in the spirit or your willingness to serve. It could be so many different things. The point is really simple. God has made you as you are. He has left his fingerprints on you. And it is his expectation that you will use what he has given you to bless the community that you're in. That is it. <clears throat> and if I may just say, for those who struggle to recognize what God has said of them, I want you to hear this because God is speaking to you and he is saying something that is incredibly significant. No one is insignificant enough to not be given this by God. No one is insignificant at all in the kingdom of God because God values all people equally. He has given all all people, something of himself that molds you and shapes you and makes you like him. And he's given that to you to bless others. It's confirmed by the word of the Lord. And whether you feel it right now or not, God has done it in you. I'm going to offer one personal reflection on this. Because I think... One of the most helpful things when it comes to spiritual gifts is to be able to recognize how God has made you. We need to learn to appreciate our uniqueness. And I needed to go on this journey. Guys, I want to say that. I want to be open to you. Like, I really needed to learn this. I needed to recognize that who God has made me to be is part of his design in my life. And it's part of how he has designed me to bless the community that I'm a part of. And often in our thinking about spiritual gifts, we spend a lot of time in 1 Corinthians. It's a good place to go, right? And we remember what Paul said where he said, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you could prophesy because prophecy blesses the church. Right? And that's a good and a godly thing. And you can and you should be doing that, by the way. 
But what often ends up happening at a practical level is that we, as much as we desire in the gifts, we see the gifts practiced through someone that we know. And so instead of just desiring the gifts, we also desire to be like the person who has the gifts. And who we've seen model the gift. And we end up frustrated and confused because we're not that person. And God hasn't made us that way. So I want to say to you, recognize who God has made you to be. See his fingerprints on your life. Recognize what he's given you and be that to your community. And it will be an incredible blessing to all of us. Point number four. Final part, final section of chapter four. Right, from verses 12 to 19. Peter writes and he speaks about what it is to suffer as a Christian. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. And if you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests on you. And if you suffer, however... It must not be for murder, for stealing, for making trouble, or for prying into others' affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. But if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, he says, remember how it is written, if the righteous are barely saved... What will happen to godless sinners? For if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, so, sorry, if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Thank you, Lord. Peter closes this chapter by circling back to the idea that he started with. Since suffering and hardship were defining characteristics of the people he was writing to. And in their wrestle with suffering, he writes and he gives them two guidelines and an encouragement. He starts and he says, I want you to expect and I want you to celebrate suffering. Right. And what Peter is essentially saying to us through this reasoning for most of us. And if you're listening to this and you're in South Africa at the moment in 2020 under lockdown Right? He, he's saying to us, you are living in an atypical time. It's atypical because you are not experiencing widespread persecution for your faith. He says, that's not something that should surprise us. It's not something that should be unusual. As we live in a time and a place where suffering and persecution because of our faith is an exception. Sorry. Peter warns us not to become complacent. Right? This was not always the case, and it's not going to remain the case forever. There was a time when persecution against Christians was a general and a daily occurrence. There will be a time when that happens again. And I dare to suggest that that time is starting to come into being. It's starting to come closer. This Western thinking slowly and inextricably erodes away our Christian values and, uh, and Christians altogether. And when that time arrives, friends, let us be prepared because we've been forewarned. Notice we're not counseled to pray and to ask God to end that time. It's often what we want to do. And yet God is not a God who is averse to our suffering for his sake. In fact, 
When that happens, he says, it is actually a blessing for us. The kingdom has a way of repackaging values that the world has. And, and suffering is the best fat example of this. You know, our culture and our society set their aim on the pursuit of happiness. And, this, and subsequently, we want to run away from suffering as we pursue happiness. But in suffering, Peter says, in suffering with Christ, we are afforded and accorded the blessing of partnering with Jesus, of sharing with him and what he endured, of having the shared experience with him. And if I may illustrate what, he's, what he means by that, right? What he, what he is saying is that it, it's like this. When you go and you meet new people, let's say you go to a place and you don't know anyone there Right? And you have to talk to a bunch of people for an introvert, especially this can be a real challenge. And you start to talk to someone and you find something that you have in common, a shared hobby, a shared interest, a shared pastor. Suddenly you feel so much more comfortable with that person, don't you? You're able to have an easy and a natural conversation because you've got this thing in common. Maybe on the other side of the spectrum, if you've been through something that's really, really difficult, you've been through a traumatic experience and you, you need to talk that through with someone, you need someone to help you process, it's so much easier and better when you find someone who has been through the same thing. Right? They're just able to understand you better. They're, they're able to genuinely empathize because they know what it is like to go through that. When we suffer because of following Jesus, we share with him in that way. There's a bond that gets created between us and Christ that until you have had that, you, you don't know what that is like. It's a blessing. We, we remember that, Peter reminds us. And then he says something that, that really is kind of obvious. right? And in some ways, we, it feels like we could skip over it, but, but he doesn't, and so we won't. And he says, guys, I want you to know it's not... It's just suffering that's of value. You need to suffer for the right reason. There's not a straight line relationship between suffering and blessing. Like the more you suffer, the more blessing you get lumped down from heaven. Right? It says if you are suffering punishment, whether it be from men or from God, because you have sinned, you've done something wrong, that's what you deserve. And it's going to be of no benefit to you. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. That's how it works. Punishment is not an excuse for sin. Sin is bad. Don't do it. See, I told you it was obvious. But then Peter closes and he closes with this encouragement. He says, but if you do suffer, if you suffer because of Jesus, because you've chosen to follow his way of life, because you've chosen to obey him rather than someone else, because you made a stand for him, because you made a decision based on what Jesus called you to. Then Peter says, God is going to bless you. And, and that's not even something to be ashamed of. In fact, you can publicly celebrate. You can praise God that he's given you that privilege to identify with him in that way. And then he closes with these beautiful words. He says, so if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you for. He will never fail you. Keep on doing what is right. That might mean to continue to do the thing that you're being persecuted for. But keep on and trust in God. As you choose obedience to him over anything else, he will honor you. And he who created you, that omnipotent, 
present, all-powerful, almighty God. He will never fail you. Isn't that an amazing promise? Thank you, God, that we can be so confident in who you are and in the promises that you've given us. Thank you that even in the midst of our hardest times, you never fail us. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Friends, we're going to close. I'm going to pray for us. And I just want to remind you that there is a, a Zoom room, a ministry room that is available if you would like to join us there from 10 to 10.30 in the morning. And maybe it's, you're just finding it really hard to cultivate prayer in your life. Maybe you know you need to work on, on your love for others and, and God's just pointed some stuff out for you and you need help with that. Maybe you're wrestling with who God has made you to be and how you fit into the picture um, maybe you just need encouragement in, in what you're going through at the moment. You just need someone to pray with you. We're there. We're in a room. We, we're really excited to pray with you. And so please do join us and find the link in the description. Now let's pray together as we close. Thank you, God. God, I thank you that you are our God, that you are with us, that you love us. And it's so good to be with you, Lord. And I pray for us, God, as we go through challenges in our life. I pray, Lord, that you would give us courage to remain faithful to you. I pray, God, that you would help us to honor you and to be aware of what you are doing in the midst of our hardship. And you would shape us and mold us and refine us to be more like you, God. I pray, Lord, you would develop in us this deep love for your presence of, of seeking you in prayer, of being with you in prayer, of loving our brothers and sisters around us of building that unity because we love and honor each other, showing the world who you are. And I pray, God, that you prepare us for when suffering really comes, that you would be honored in how we respond. And so we commit ourselves to you, and in the week ahead as we go, God, keep us in your grace, strengthen us by your Spirit, Fill us, God, with your presence and show us, Lord, where you are at work around us and about us and give us courage and boldness to join you in all that you lead us to. In your wonderful name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. Bless you, friends. It's been wonderful to be with you. Have a lovely week.